good morning, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Um, blessed to be here. And um, always grateful just for the way our church family is, man. We just uh, are so, so blessed. Like last week, uh, Erica and I were out of town as we get to do several times a year to speak at different events. And I know you guys are blessed from this pulpit by my good friend, Kerwin Rodriguez. Um, so grateful for him and his ministry. The week before, our brother Joshua Sub brought the word. Yeah. And um, I appreciate having a couple of weeks off from preaching. And so as, as, uh, as much as I love to do this and know that God made me to do this, um, it's taxing and it's good to hear from others. And it's good for you all to hear from others. Today on Father's Day, I, I have a profound amount of gratitude on this day. Um, even seeing the men on this stage just really touched my heart. Um, I know these brothers. I love these brothers. I look up to these brothers. They sharpen me, and I trust that I sharpen them. And there are probably a dozen other guys we could have asked to share just as we had those four guys share. And um, one thing that really means a lot to me is the fact that we've got men in our church who take this job very seriously of being husbands and fathers. And that says a lot in a culture that sometimes loses sight of what that's like. I'm grateful for my dad uh, who's here today and the example he has been to me. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful for my dad-in-law for the great man that he's been as well. I'm grateful for the many spiritual men, the men in my life who are spiritual dads to me in different times and in different ways for sometimes short moments, sometimes for prolonged seasons. But these men have been a part of shaping and forming me. Um, they taught me to work hard, to be committed to the Lord. To strive to be a rock in my home, to learn to be a gardener in my home, to turn to Jesus when I fail. Like these men are not perfect men and I'm not a perfect man. And one thing that you'll hear today is not about being the perfect man, but about following the perfect man. And those men pointed me to Jesus. And so today we want to celebrate every dad. And as we said, we want to celebrate every spiritual dad. We know there are men in this church who maybe don't have their own children, but you are our fathers and we know you are. You have taken others under your wing. You've poured into them. You've given your life to point them to Christ. And we want to honor you as well. And it's been mentioned several times, we know this day has a range of emotions. Some of you have experienced a loss of a father this past year. And this is your first Father's Day without your dad, without your papi. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be emotional about that. People come to mind. <laughs> We're grateful for um, the way our God meets us in our pain. Some of you guys haven't had a father around. Um, some of you feel like you're failures as a father. And some are longing to be a father. And I pray no matter what you're feeling today that your heavenly father would just comfort you, that you would feel his presence today in a special way. Um, I know our God can meet us in ways that no one and nothing else can. And so 
to that, I'm just grateful for the men in our church. And we're grateful that we have a family that can understand the range of emotions that come and say, to God be the glory in all of it. Yeah. Um, and I want to say this just briefly about masculinity. Um, from the time we're boys, we get images of what a man should be like. And some of those images are great, <laughs> and other of them are very toxic. And sometimes that can be very confusing. And some of these images and concepts are very intentional. Sometimes they feel very subliminal. But we know that messaging are coming. And I just want to speak to our men to, to keep your eyes on Christ, brothers. Keep your eyes on Christ. And make sure that he is the one that is at the center of your vision of what it means to be a man. I think part of this is why we love superheroes. Just think of the superman. The dude flies. Sometimes we wish we could do that, don't we? The guy's the guy who's got the high character, always coming to the rescue. And there's something in us that says, man, I like that. I want that. He's the guy who always beats the odds, and he does so, and he gets to wear a cape. Like, that's cool. And when we think about it, what's Superman's nickname? The Man of Steel. The Man of Steel. And we can look to him and say, man, we want to be like that. But sometimes we can see those images and begin to misunderstand what it means to be a man. And we want to be the man of steel, but we quickly find out that we're ridden with flaws. That sometimes we can feel quite soft in our soul. And soft is not all bad. And so when you think of being a man of steel today, take it to mind what Proverbs says, that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Have that kind of steel, fam. Well, we sharpen one another with our strengths and our weaknesses and are able to become the kind of men that God wants us to be, man. I want to broaden the scope a little bit today, and I want to speak to all of us here today. We've been going through a series in the book of Judges, and today we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about a very complicated man in the Bible. A man whose name is as famous as his strength. A man who's got swole long before export, nutritional supplements and protein shakes. He's a man to have, known to have luscious locks, and his hair created a scene just like his muscles did. He was a man of steel. He is the one and only Samson. The Samson and Delilah Samson. The Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith Samson whose life seemed to be riddled with compromise, Samson. Samson, a guy who confuses us. He's one part Spanish novella, and he's other part Hercules. If his life had a theme song, it'd be, oops, I did it again. Samson's life is a tale of a man who wasted his life until the very end. In fact, his greatest act of faith was his last act of all. And what's so mesmerizing about Samson is we look at him, we're like, bro, what are you doing? And yet we look at him, it's like, man, you're like a mirror where I can say, bro, what are you doing? Samson is a person whose life doesn't necessarily give us examples to follow, but warnings to, of things to avoid. 
And this is part of the challenge sometimes when we read our Bibles, because we assume just because someone's in the Bible, we got to follow their example. That's not always the case. Sometimes someone's in the Bible because you say, hey, look, don't follow their example. Sometimes they're in the Bible to say, hey, look, their life is messy just like your life is messy. You got people who have great faith and profound weaknesses, successes and failures. They doubt their faith. They're strong in their faith. They're all that hodgepodge together. Samson's that kind of dude. But one thing I want to point out today as we start this three-part series on the life of Samson is that Samson's a man with a purpose. A man with a purpose in life, not unlike you and I have a purpose in life. He's a man that God had called from his birth for a very singular calling. And he's a man that had given then his opportunities to fulfill that calling. And what I love about this is because sometimes we can read these kind of stories in the Bible and we feel very distant from them. And we're like, man, that's, that's, that's cool for Samson, but what about the purpose in my life? And here's what I want us to understand from a very big picture standpoint is that all of us were made with a purpose and are called to live on purpose, not on accident. Like, I want you to hear me now. God has made you with a purpose. There, there, there's no exception to that statement. But not all of us live according to our purpose because our eyes begin to deviate from the God who made us. See, just like Samson, we were made with a purpose, but we are called just like Samson to live on purpose. So what I want us to understand today is our purpose as we find it similar to the story of Samson, and then how to live on purpose. And we'll find this by not following Samson's example. So if you can, would you join me in the book of Judges in the Bible? Judges chapter 13. I'm covering two chapters today, y'all. We're going to be going through this pretty quick, but I want you to join me. And would you please stand with me as I... Begin to read in a moment from Judges chapter 13. Judges is the seventh book of the Bible. And we are in chapter 13. Here's what God's word tells us. It says, and the people of Israel again, can you say not again? again. People of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a man, a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful... And drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And then jump down to verse 21. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew, Manoah knew 
that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanedan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Father God, we come before you, Lord, this morning. And God, I pray you would bring clarity to us for our lives through this message from the life of Samson. I pray for every man, for every woman, for every youth, anyone who's watching here online or here in person, that we would see the purpose for which we were created and live according to that purpose for your glory, God. God, I pray that you would move in us today with healing, moving us today with a fresh vision for our lives. God, our prayers that Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, would be exalted. Help us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You may be seated, family. Because I'm covering a lot of passage today, I'm not going to be reading everything that we'll be pre I'll be preaching from. And... Um, but I want us to be able to get in God's word. You might have noticed we skipped over a couple chapters. There is another judge who we won't be covering named Jephthah. And his story is just as complex as the other ones have been. And I'll let you enjoy that reading on your own. But today we're talking about Samson. And as we've seen throughout this book of Judges, it was a time of Israel's history when they didn't have a king. It was before God had raised up a king because God was like, hey, yo, I'm your king. I want you to follow me. I don't want you to follow the gods of this land. And I want you to, to move those gods out of the land and follow me wholeheartedly. God's people would do that for a season, fall away from God, worship idols. God would make life hard on them in order to open their eyes. They'd cry out to God for help. God would send a judge. He would rescue them. She would rescue them. And then they would have peace, follow God for a season, and then the cycle continues. It's a pretty pitiful thing, to be honest, as you watch it, as you read it. But one thing that sticks out to me in this cycle of the judges is an absence of something important. We read in chapter 13, verse 1, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In the sight of the Lord, his eyes. God saw them and said, what you're doing is evil. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. God raised up this nation to make life hard on them because God wanted them to turn back to him. And at this point in the story of Judges, we would normally see something to the effect of, and God's people cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up a deliverer. But we don't see that here. We don't see God's people crying out for a deliverer. There's nothing. There's no statement of them saying life is hard God, we need you. We don't see them saying, God, things are difficult. Would you rescue us? We don't see any of it. Israel did not cry out to the Lord. And what we'll find in the story of Samson is they became quite content and used to and comfortable in the bondage that they had to this other nation. They became very much at peace with life less than what God would have for them. 
I don't know if y'all are ready to hear that this morning. But these were a people who were okay with not living according to God's purpose for their life. And they became so used to it, they didn't even realize they were miserable, that they would not cry out to God. Family, how common that is. And I suspect even some of us here today may not even realize how dissatisfied you are in your life. And you become so used to less than God's joy that you don't even cry out to God for rescue. But what's so dope about our God is verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah. He had a wife who was barren. In verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to her. What does God do? God says, you don't even know that you need me, but I'm going to show up and show you that you need me. You don't even realize you need a rescue, but I'm going to come and give you a rescue. You don't even know how miserable you are, but I want to show you how miserable you are so you can see how good that I am. I'm going to choose to be gracious even when you don't realize you need my grace. That's called mercy, family. And that's what our God does. So God shows up in this, to this family. This is woman. Her, she remains unnamed. We don't know her name, but we know this about her. She was unable to have children. She is likely in her older age. And an angel from the Lord comes to her and he says to her, Behold, we know you are, God knows you are barren, but therefore, in verse 4, be careful because you will bear a son. Be careful then not to drink wine or strong drink or anything unclean for your son. You shall bear a son. No razor shall come to his head, for he shall be a Nazarite to God. And he will begin to save Israel from the Philistines. This angel comes to this woman and says, hey, God's about to do something miraculous. Though you have no children, God's going to provide for you a child, a son. And when he does so, this is what I want you to understand. This angel gives her direction and applies that direction to her child. The angel says, don't drink strong drink. Don't drink wine. Don't eat anything unclean. He tells her, and he says, when the child is born, he shall not in his lifetime drink strong drink, drink wine, eat anything unclean, nor shall he cut his hair. He will be what's called, he says in verse 5, a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite is a, a kind of person we find in the book of Numbers, chapter 1 through 6, who makes a vow before God. Basically, he say, God, I want to be set apart for you, for the purpose you've called me to. And people make this promise to God, this Nazarite promise, and part of it was to withhold from strong drink, from unclean foods, and they won't cut their hair. So the dudes with long hair, you're like, you're probably a Nazarite, bro. And some people chose to be Nazarites later in life, and they would begin so by shaving their head and then letting it grow out. It was them saying, God, I want to visibly say to others what I'm telling to you is that I'm set apart for your purposes. And these were known to be Nazarites. But what's unique about this child, this one to be Samson, is that the angel said, hey, to, to Samson's mom, I want your son to be a Nazarite. Essentially because from the womb, I've set him apart for God's purposes. And what's the purpose for which Samson was created? In verse 5, we're told, he will begin to save Israel 
from the hand of the Philistines. God would raise him up to rescue his people. You see, what's fascinating in the book of Judges is God constantly raised up these leaders, these, these people, these rescuers, to rescue God's people from their oppression. But listen here, there's a bigger picture here. It wasn't just military campaigns that God had in mind. You see, every judge was meant to rescue them from oppression in order to refocus the eyes of the people upon their God. There was a bigger purpose than military exploits. It was ultimately that the God of Israel would receive glory through the lives of his people and through their worship. That was the purpose for which Samson was created. That he would bring glory to God and the means with which he would do so is by rescuing them from their oppression. This is what you and Samson have in common. It may not be your hair. I see you. It may not be the fact that you got to stay from unclean foods. We know we enjoy our pork. Yep. But this is what we got in common with Samson. Is that you and I were made for the purpose of glorifying God with our lives. That may not sound very profound. But what I want you to understand is you were made with a God-given purpose. And that God-given purpose is to glorify God with your lives. This is why, though, it is profound. Because the God who made you understood that he crafted you like a potter for a very purpose in your life. And you will not understand nor enjoy your life's purpose until you do so and you live for God's glory. Look, family, I'm on Instagram, I'm on social media, and I'm seeing trending often a lot of motivational speakers. And they got some great words to say about purpose in life. But when I see their wording on purpose, absent the glory of God, what I hear is a purpose that will not ultimately bring you satisfaction. Because I've tried living for my own purposes, family, as I know many of you had. I've tried different ways of pursuing joy. And you've tried the same thing. But there is no satisfaction in life ultimately apart from living for the glory of God. This is why Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Because when you eat that food, when you drink that drink, and whatever you do, when you have a Godward focus, you realize I am living according to the purpose for which I was created. Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So again, when people see God in you, God is glorified and you are living according to the means you were made for. Family, this is what God made Samson for. This is what God made you for. You came today perhaps not realizing you had a purpose. Or maybe you came today thinking your purpose was actually uh, something different than what you're hearing right now. But here's something really profound. Samson was made to rescue God's people from Israel. But that wasn't his purpose ultimately in life. That was the means through which he would accomplish his purpose. Many of you all have so many profound gifts. 
God has given you talents and skills and careers and opportunities. And praise God for that. You ever watch someone do their thing? You're like, man, you were made to do that. When I see teachers in a, two, a second grade classroom, I'm like, man, God made you for that. When I see our Brook Youth Leaders, and I'm like, hallelujah, God made you for that. When I see artists painting on a canvas, I'm like, where did that come? God made you for that. But listen here. Teaching, serving, painting, crafting, making, playing, whatever it is, is not the goal. It's a means to the end, and the end is the glory of God. And so many of us are living thinking our purpose is that thing I just mentioned. But that's not your big purpose. Your big purpose is the glory of God. And when you understand that you're teaching, you're playing, you're creating, you're making, or whatever it is, is the means through which you glorify God, you're going to find satisfaction in ways you never understood. And Samson needed to learn this lesson. And his mom is told that this would be what God would do through him. God wanted Samson's family to understand that God had a plan for him. Now, I'm not going to get through all this. There's a lot of details here. But long story short, Samson's dad shows up. He's like, you know, the mom is telling the dad what happened. And they're like, you know, God, would you send the angel back? We want to hear what's going on. The angel comes back, explains things. They're blown away. But there's some interesting things in this story that I don't have time to unpack, but I want to tell you real quick. Samson's parents never refer to the God of Israel as Yahweh. And this is a very interesting thing. They refer to him as Elohim, which is kind of the generic name for God. What we also find is that Samson's parents are very slow to understand that this is the angel of God who's come to speak to them. And if we read between the lines just a little bit, we realize that Samson's parents, although really striving to be faithful, are parents who've been really affected by the culture with which they're living in, and there is not that singular kind of focus on the God of Israel that we would want to see here. In fact, Samson's dad even thinks, I'm going to die here because finally when he puts it all together that, oh, wow, this is, this is God. This is God, God, who's talking to me. He thinks he's going to die. And his wife's like, if God's going to kill us, then I can't give birth to Samson. She basically tells him. So that would kind of be counterproductive. And he's like, oh, that's true. That's true. I guess we're good then. She names him Samson, which is also a fascinating thing because the name Samson perhaps points to the God of the sun in Canaanite religion. And so there's a lot of mystery shrouded around Samson's family. And we'll soon see that Samson's life reflects this kind of chaos. Samson was a man with a purpose. God made it clear from his birth. And God wanted to use Samson to rescue God's people from the hand of the oppressor, even when they didn't realize they needed it. But how would God do that through Samson? Well, we know from history, we know from stories, and maybe you've heard before, Samson's a guy who's strong. Like, supernaturally strong. And as I was reading this, I'm like, when, when did Samson realize, though, that he had it like that? And we're not really told, but in a few moments we'll see the first example of him flexing. But between now and then, we're, 
We're not sure how God's going to rescue Israel through Samson, but we know God wants to do it. And we know that Samson knows that this is his mission. But from the very beginning of Samson's life, first thing on the scene, we see Samson not doing what God wants him to do. Look at chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now, get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you must go take a wife from these uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. In verse 4, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Now, sometimes you're like, man, I just want more details here, God. G- give, me, give me more. And we don't have more, but here's what we do have. So Samson's now an adult. He's of marriage age. He no doubt has long, flowing hair. He's strong, we'll see in a moment. And he goes down to this town and he sees a woman from the Philistines. Now, as we're told here, the Philistines, again, are the people who are oppressing God's people. And so basically he goes into enemy territory, sees a woman that he's extremely attracted to, comes back and says, Mom and Dad, go get her for me. She will be my wife. This sounds kind of cavemanish, doesn't it? Get her for me. And his dad is like, We've got a whole nation of people, Samson, who are not our oppressors, who don't worship other gods. Can you go look over there? And Samson's like, no, she looked good to me. I want her. Twice, Samson says, she looks good in his eyes. Actually, I believe it's three times. These are the first times introduced that phrase that he wanted what was right in his own eyes. Two more times after the Samson narrative, that same phrase is used for the people of Israel who did what was right in their own eyes. In fact, as we read the story of Samson, we find that he actually becomes a bit of an illustration for the nation as a whole. A people that God had given a purpose to. A people that God had set apart, but a people who began to intermingle with the other peoples and turned away from their God. That's Israel and that's Samson. And so Samson is bent on taking this woman from another nation who doesn't love the Lord, who's actually from a nation that's oppressing his own people, to take her as his wife. Because she was right in his own eyes. It was Samson's eyes that began to deviate from God's purpose and chase after things that God would not have for him, fam. Let me put it this way. What's right in your eyes may be wrong in God's. See, wandering eyes will deviate you from God's purpose. And for Samson, these eyes of his began to go after this woman. He was seduced by her looks. 
And we're not told much more than just that detail, but we're told that whatever it was, she got him. And he wanted her. Family, God has a purpose for us to glorify God with our lives. But we must understand that there is a fallen and broken world around us. There is an enemy lurking among us. And there is a flesh nature within us that would want these eyes of ours to deviate from that God-glorifying purpose in your life. Now, I don't know what it is that causes your eyes to drift. It could be the eyes of lust like Samson's. It could be the eyes of success, the eyes of ambition, the eyes of regret. I don't know what it is, but there are dozens of things in our lives and usually three or four prominent ones that tend to get us looking elsewhere than to living for God and his glory. You know what yours are, and I know what mine are. And Samson is about to find out what his are. And for him, we see from the very start, it was beauty of women. Samson did what was right in his own eyes, soon to find out that it was wrong in God's eyes. His parents trying to persuade him, but he would not be persuaded. And we're told in verse 4, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. I find this to be a real fascinating statement, but I think what it's saying ultimately is this. God knew that his people were comfortably in bondage, and God's like, I'm going to stir the pot up. And I'm even going to use Samson's waywardness to accomplish my purposes. That even in his deviating, God's will will be done. God's like, even a disobedient Samson, I will work a way out to accomplish my purposes because I know what my people need even when they don't know what they need. And so God wants to use Samson here. Samson is a man whose eyes deviated him from God's purpose. And Samson is a man who chose not to honor God with his life and his gifts. The story gets a little more complex here. Because we're told in verse 5, Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. How about that for a stroll? Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces and as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman. And again, she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. <laughs> I heard someone say, that's gross. <laughs> All right, so again, we're like, man, these are some mad random details, it sounds like. <laughs> so he was attacked by a lion, killed it, tore it apart, rotted out, bees went in, made honey. Comes back, sees the honey, grabs honey, eats it, gives it to his mom and dad, but doesn't tell them where the honey came from. 
What y'all going to do with that one, right? <laughs> but little do we realize that there's a third lesson we learn about Samson here. We learn he's got a purpose. We learn that, secondly, his eyes deviate him from that purpose. We also learn that Samson becomes indifferent to his purpose. He becomes indifferent to the hand of God in his life. Well, how does he do so? Well, first, as we've already seen, he's indifferent to God's calling to rescue people from the Philistines. How do we see that? Well, he becomes entitled. Indifference will make you entitled because for him, he wanted this woman, even though she was from the oppressing nation, from pagan gods, but he wanted her. And he was indifferent to the fact that he was made for rescuing, and he became entitled. That's what indifference would do. Indifference also made him calloused. Now, as we see this story of the lion, we're like, this is weird. But I want you to understand, actually, what the writer is telling us, because the writer is actually making something very clear. First of all, we're learning for the first time how crazy this dude's strength is. A lion attacked him. He didn't just strangle it. He tears it apart with his bare hands. That's a messy scene. So first off, we, we learn Samson is supernaturally uh, empowered with strength that is not like the average person. We see Samson kills the animal, doesn't tell his parents about it. Why? We don't know exactly. But we do find this. When he comes back, he finds honey in it. Now, for a body to decompose like this of a lion, that doesn't happen in days. For bees to come in and create a honeycomb to produce honey, that doesn't happen. So even in the narrator sharing this story, there's something of a miracle happening here. But when Samson grabs the honey, Samson does something that we must understand here. He touches the corpse of an animal. If you recall, his Nazarite vow says that he was not to touch the, body, the dead body of anything. He became indifferent to his calling and was willing to become unclean just for a handful of honey. Not only was he indifferent and calloused in this way, but that he proceeded to give this unclean honey to his parents, not telling them that it's unclean honey. And then they ate it, therefore making his parents ceremonially unclean before God. Samson was a man who just didn't care that what he was doing was compromising. So this random story actually is not all that random. We're learning something about Samson who was made for a purpose but not living according to it. He has compromised his calling to rescue from Philistines and instead is trying to intermarry with them. He has compromised his purpose of not touching anything unclean. But now comes his wedding day, or shall I say his wedding week, as was celebrated in ancient Near Eastern culture. In verse 10, his father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there. For so the young men used to do. And as soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Samson's getting ready to marry this Philistine woman against the wishes of his parents and, a court, and a, certainly against the desires of God. He begins to plan this seven-day feast. Now you see that word feast in verse 10? That word feast 
literally means something like the place of drinking. See, it's a feast, but it's more like a banquet. It's what happened as people prepared for, for marriage. Now, these banquets, these feasts, these places of drinking, they weren't having coffee, family. He, he, was not, he was not refueling on Gatorade at this moment. What was at these feasts was wine and strong drink. And Samson just didn't show up to the feast, but we're told that Samson prepared the feast. And reading between the lines, we see Samson, again, indifferent to his calling, compromising the call to stay away from strong drink and drinks at this party. Samson's a man who's missing the mark, but God's still at work. His wedding day comes, this wedding week, I should say, and they're given, he's given 30 companions. Now, this is something that we're not really clear on, but it seems that normally when you show up to a wedding, you bring others with you to celebrate the wedding. Samson is not in his hometown. He's going to the girl's hometown, and he's there alone, and they give him 30 companions to go with him. Some think of them like a bridal party, like groomsmen. Others wonder, are these companions there because this dude's intimidating and we need people on hand just in case something goes down? We don't know exactly. But we do know is that Samson wants to make sport of it. Look at verse 12. Samson said to these guys, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Some people suspect Samson didn't like what the dudes were wearing. So he's like, let me get you a riddle, all right? In verse 13, but if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. Now it's funny, the very first words we hear Samson speak in the story is him putting out a riddle to somebody. What Samson does here, he shares this riddle with these 30 men at his wedding. And he said to them in verse 14, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. I can't blame them. You read this, and you're like, what, what does that mean? Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, you may know the answer to this because I just unpacked it for you the last few minutes. But Samson clearly is referring to the killing of this lion and the fact that it produced honey. There's no way for these 30 guys to know it because not even Samson's parents knew it. And so day three comes and the men are there and now they're starting to sweat because look it, they couldn't just go to Walmart to get these clothes. There was no men's warehouse on the hood. In fact, this kind of linen garment, this fancy clothes was something special. It was not something easily to come by. And these men realize now all of a sudden, man, we thought, this would be something easy for us to get some new garments out of. Now we're ready. We're going to have to start paying up in four days if we can't figure out this riddle. And we have no lead here. And so in verse 15, on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And so Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. 
She's working him here, guys. And he said to her, behold, I, I have not even told my father and my mother. Shall I tell you? Samson's got some issues here about marriage. He's got to learn them. Verse 17, she wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, she told her, uh, he told her because she pressed him hard. And then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, whatever, I mean, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And right there, they won the riddle. And guess what Samson's got to do now? He's got to pay up. But Samson knew that his riddle was not possible to understand. So look what he says. He said to them, if you, not, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not found out my riddle. A heifer is a female cow. And he said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not found out my riddle. Ancient Near Eastern customs was such that a female cow would not be used for the plow. And so Samson's basically saying, you played unfair by getting an answer from my wife. Otherwise, you would not have learned the riddle. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, that's a city of the Philistines, 20 miles away, struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. End of first part of the story. You're like, what is happening here? Samson's indifferent to his calling, but he knows he's got superhuman strength. He made a bet that he could not pay up. He wrote, he wrote a check he couldn't cash. Now he's forced to pay up, goes to another town, slays 30 guys, kills them callously, takes their garments, brings it back to pay off his debt, goes back to his parents' house, not to his wife because he's mad at her. But as ancient Near Eastern culture is, during those seven weeks she was considered his wife, but they had not yet consummated their marriage likely until day seven, which obviously Samson wasn't having that at that moment. And so her dad is like, I'm not going to leave my daughter like that. She, he gives her to the, another man that was there. And the story ends like that. And you're like, wait, what just happened here? We see is that Samson's life is beginning to already unravel just as quickly as it's beginning. And it all starts because Samson was indifferent to the calling God put in his life and his indifference made him entitled, calloused, compromising, and cold-hearted. See, when we begin to live pursuing our own desires apart from God, family, we become indifferent to the purpose for which we are created, and our lives just will not make sense. And not only this, God had given Samson not just a calling, but a gifting to fulfill that calling. And Samson used that gifting for his own desires and not for God's glory. I don't know if y'all are hearing me this morning, but you have been given a purpose of giving glory to God, and God has wired you. He has created you with skills and gifts 
and abilities and passions, but not that you would live those out for your own purposes and pleasures, but that you would give God glory through your gifts. When you are withholding your gifts from the glory of God, you're not knowing God's purpose and joys in life. Samson was making a mistake here. He misused, neglected, and abused his giftings. And he dishonored God. He dishonored his parents. He dishonored his nation. He dishonored the people around him because of this neglect. What a mess. Strong man, but not a man strong in faith. But you know, as I read this story, I'm grateful that it's not ultimately about Samson, fam. Just like it's not ultimately about you. And stories like this are put in the Bible. Sometimes they're a bit of a head scratcher, but we realize God is working something in the greater narrative. And what God wants us to understand, that Samson was never meant to be the one to ultimately bring God's people freedom. I mean, even in chapter 13, verse 5, it was told that he would begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. He would begin he would not be the one ultimately to save Israel as they needed to be saved. You know, Samson's story ultimately, as you already suspect, points to a greater story. Samson's story is about something far greater than this man with strength who doesn't live up to his calling. Consider this. Samson's mom was a childless woman visited by an angelic messenger told she would miraculously give birth to a son who would be called a Nazarite from birth with a clear and distinct mission of rescuing God's people, saving them from the hand of their brutal oppressor. Does that sound familiar? I know it ain't December 25th, but I'm going to give you all some Christmas right now. Because this drips with imagery of another 1,200 years later family. Another childless woman, a virgin named Mary who would be visited by an angelic messenger, told she would be miraculously give birth to a son, who would be set apart from birth, son of the Most High, called to be not a Nazarite, but a Nazarene, with a clear and distinct mission of saving God's people from the hand of their brutal oppressor, and no, not the Philistines, but the oppressor called sin and death. And that child's name would be Jesus. That child would know why he came, because he would be God in human flesh who would come to give us a rescue and take a bride for himself. But not a bride selfishly, not a bride against the will of the Father, but a bride that God had brought him down to get for himself. And that bride is called the church. It is the people that Jesus came to rescue and lay his life down, not threatening the bride, but saving the bride. And when we put our faith in Jesus who died on a cross for our sin and raised from the dead, he would then give us a new citizenship, not just here on earth, but one in heaven, family. And when we understand our heavenly citizenship, we understand our heavenly calling of giving glory to God in all that we do. Now, as already been mentioned, today is also June the 19th, which is Juneteenth, the day we commemorate the messaging to the slaves in Galveston, Texas in 1865 that they were free. And during Juneteenth in this season, we hear great stories of many black men and women who've done great things in our nation, and we praise God for it. One that I heard about this past week was a woman by the name of Jessica Nabongo. She is the first black woman 
to travel to every country in the world. She completed that feat in 2019. I read stories of how she went to different places and different things she experienced, and she tells of this in a book, The Catch Me If You Can. But one thing that stuck out to me that I found in her story was she realized that as a Ugandan-American, that her American passport can get us into all kinds of nations. But there were some nations her passport couldn't get her into because they're closed by the American government. In which case then she utilized her Ugandan citizenship to gain her access to somewhere she would not have had access otherwise. She tells of how that was going to those nations that were closed off. But she had a purpose. She had a goal of visiting every nation in the world. And it was her dual citizenship that set her up and gave her the ability to fulfill the purpose that she set out to fulfill. I don't know if you all are hearing me here today, but if you today are a follower of Jesus, you are not just a person of earth, but a citizen of heaven. And when you've got dual citizenship, you also got another purpose, a purpose that's greater than you would have if you were merely a person of the earth. A purpose that is made in heaven because the God of eternity handcrafted you in the womb of your mother with the purpose of giving him glory. And he wants you to live with purpose and to live on purpose, utilizing every gift he's given you and every door he opens for you to bring him glory, family. It's not until you do that that you will understand the purpose for which you're created. And so no matter how good it all sounds, family, God wants you to live for him. Every gift, every ability, and then you'll understand and experience the joy of the Lord. And there are bigger things at play here. It's what people see around us. It's the legacies we leave behind us. Family, God has given you a purpose. He's given you a mission. And it's not about being the perfect person, but following the perfect person and living for the glory of God. So would you embrace that today? Would you embrace the fact that God wants you for his will? And when you do that, man, I know from personal experience, from testimony of others, from God's word, you will experience the joy of the Lord and satisfaction in this life in, no, in a way you would not otherwise understand. So let's pray, fam. Almighty God, we thank you, Lord, for your word that speaks to us. And even as we see in the story someone who missed the mark, may we heed the warning, Lord, to not become nonchalant about our lives, deviating our eyes from what you would have for us. But with every passion and every gift, may we use it for you, Lord. God, may we not become numb or indifferent. Lord, I pray you give a freshness of sight to someone today. When they would say, man, I, I've been doing this the wrong way. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it now for the glory of God instead of my own advancement. God, would you meet them in that place? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Families, rise to our feet. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward.
to the, my right and left off the side of the stage. I want to invite you to respond through prayer. If God is burdening your heart and speaking to you anyway, whether it's related to the sermon or not, I want to ask you to come forward and ask our prayer team to pray with you. Well, family, let this last song be a song of surrender where you're saying, God, I don't want to hold back. I don't want to become self-focused. But rather, I give myself away to you. Father, we praise you, Lord. This is our prayer. We are yours. Use us for your glory. God, use us for your purpose, God. May we experience that satisfaction of living according to the, uh, the, the calling you've placed in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we dismiss you, I just want to remind uh, our men, our dads and spiritual dads, we have a small gift for you out there. Thank you for being that man of steel that sharpens like iron sharpens iron. Happy Father's Day. We've got refreshments downstairs. Please come on down even for a few moments. We love to chat with you. The Lord your God is with you and he's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. God bless you. You are dismissed.